is he? James, you don't know what this is? James Bond. Hi everybody, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. Here we are to do the 25th James Bond movie. We know it's been about a month since it's been out, but you know, it's it's hard to get our schedules aligned as, as broadcasters as we are. So we've just seen No Time to Die. Actually, I saw it about a week or two ago. Mike has just finished it. He literally just finished it about five minutes ago. So Mike, you can go first. I tend to be a grump. I will say one thing is that as soon as stuff starts exploding in this movie, I'm all in. So my overall take is this has all the hallmarks, not on, not only of a good James Bond film, but of the Daniel Craig films in general. It's got great chases. It's got a lot of twists. Um, you know, we, we can talk more specifically about the ending later, but I thought that the brilliant thing is once um, James Bond has managed to open the blast doors, uh, watching them close again uh, is great. You know, that in other movies, for some reason, they give you um, unnecessary takes for no reason, like stuff like those blast doors opening just because they want to show how, you know, how cool they are. But this actually had a reason because, of course, they they close back up, which which leads us to our to our ultimate ending. Um, I actually thought that they had a pretty decent villain this time. Um, a, a lot of twists in terms. The the only thing was that there there's obviously a different mood uh, to this film. That's for sure. Versus, you know, Casino Royale or even something like Spectre. So what was your take on the mood? There's spoilers coming and people are very worried on Twitter when this came out. They said, you know, please don't spoil anything. Don't post anything about the new James Bond movie. Now, if you think about the overall mood, let me let me go into it with the spoiler bit. It's ridiculous to say no spoilers for a James Bond movie, right? Why? Because nothing ever happens. Right. He saves the world every time. That's what happens. Now, you don't want to find out like what is what his new chasings are going to be. Or wasn't that cool when the when the, when the guns came out and he spun the car around and shot everybody. Right. But. You know, they're all the same movie, except for Honor, Majesty, Secret Service. I know they're all the same movie. You and I have seen all of them, right? You've seen like all 25, right, of them? Yes. Okay. Um, So now that there's franchising, here's the mood. There's got to be like a main character who dies, right? So in Skyfall, first it's Vesper, then then it's M, here it's Felix, then it's Blofeld, right? But it's never James Bond. It's never James Bond. James Bond does not die, Mike. He does not die. And one of our rules for the last three or four seasons is we stopped doing movies that we didn't like or to complain about. So I don't want to be a jerk and tell people they like the wrong things. But I think this movie is bad in a specific way that contemporary movies are bad. And I think it's worth discussing. I think every everything you see in the trailers is on display in this movie. Everything that made me roll my eyes about the Ghostbusters prequel was here in this movie. I think the mood was self-important. I think it was it was overly somber, and I think this is this is probably the the weakest James Bond movie. I don't know if it's the weakest James Bond movie of all time. I admit that this is not one of my favorite movies. Let, let's talk about what we like really quick, and then we'll get into specific scenes because I don't disagree with you at all. I certainly think that uh, that self indulgent or trying trying to be important in some ways that this is like this is like trying to move freight on a pontoon. James Bond is not meant to hold weight. It's not It's not meant to be a utility vehicle. How many uh, meetings did they have way. to figure out how they were going to kiss Daniel Craig's rear end to, to get the end? I'll tell you what. Well, I want a big, I want a big finish. Okay, okay. Um, how about your Jesus? We're going to make you Jesus at the end. How's that? Oh, okay, okay. That's fine. I, I, it was, it was, it was not good. 
It was not. But let's good. talk about what we like because I did actually like the car spinning around. And he that I like. I like the car spinning around, but there was no action sequence in this that was even as good as the ones in Spectre. Oh, I thought the I thought the stuff in the woods was good. I was coming in with a positive attitude. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm just me as too. grumpy as you. I did. But, I, you but, sure. I did go into it a positive attitude. I love Daniel Craig. We've talked about this. Casino Royale is great. He's a great James Bond. Um, I even like I like Spectre way more than you did. But yeah, um, well, well, Spectre was very beige. I think yeah. one of the things that I liked about this uh, was uh, Bond had a tendency to use uh, the natural surroundings more than more than anything else. You know, when he dodges yeah. the first motorcycle, he hides in the the crevasse in the bridge, and the the motorcycle flips over. He does it. He kind of tricks the truck and and does the same thing. So I will say that a lot of a lot of the action scenes uh, had a classic signature on them, including the final kind of fight up the stairs, which I thought was good. But you know, I'll I'll reiterate briefly what i just said which is it seemed like the folks who made this movie felt like they had a responsibility to do something and first of all i don't necessarily know that they even know what it is and b whatever they tried to pack onto this vehicle it was not intended to to carry and my whole moment is about that so let's go to part two okay all right so we're making our way through this one where well, let's talk about some indicative moments of, of what's going on in this movie. Dan, why don't you go first? So I'm going to do a funny indicative moment, not funny, haha, but ironically or odd funny moment. If you saw this movie at AMC theaters, as I did, as I suppose many people have seen AMC's a big chain, right? So after you get the, all the trailers and the, and the Coca-Cola ads and all that stuff, there's a thing where the lovely and talented Nicole Kidman comes out and does like a 90 second promo for AMC. Now, part of it's ridiculous because you've already given your money, like you're in the movie and she's going to convince you to go to the movies. Um, Like I'm here already. But it's so, it's so painful to see her give this speech. And part of it is she says, she she tries to turn the theater into a church. She says, we come to this place to cry. And I'm quoting this, to care, not just to be entertained, but somehow reborn. Did you write that down while you were sitting there? No, but I went and looked it up. Not just entertained, but somehow reborn. Our heroes are the better part of us. Like in this place, heartbreak feels somehow good. Like it's unbelievable. Now, I want to talk about that moment because that's my moment for this movie. Everything Nicole Kidman says there is true, like for certain movies. Like you and I love movies. We can't imagine our lives without them. For certain movies, that's absolutely true. Movies have changed my life. We think about we think about human beings in different ways because of the movies we've seen and the movies that have really, really hit us. It's, a, it's as high as an art form as you want to go. Okay, we're done. But the great thing about the Bond movies and other franchise movies is that they had no pretension to do any of that. They had no pretension to make us come to this Bond film to cry, to care, and no pretension to be like a deeply meaningful movie, right? Like some movies have totally changed my life. Thunderball wasn't one of them, right? Goldfinger is not Autumn Sonata, and The Spy Love Me is not Citizen Kane. I mean, those Bond films never had a, a pretense for meaning. They had a pretense for style, right? And But their very aloofness uh, is what made them so enjoyable, right? It hit the style mark over and over and over but these movies don't play take place on planet earth they're like as realistic as jeeves and wooster or something james bond is a way to get away from the world i don't go to james bond to care i don't care about his stupid kid i don't want to see james bond's stupid daughter i don't care that he finally found love are you kidding me this is james 
Bond. This is Commander James Bond. And I just think that the idea that they're going to make, you mentioned this before, this deeply meaningful statement about sacrifice. And oh, I, 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 my mouth was open and all the suspense at the end is for the wrong reason. It's for like, yeah, no, he's, he's not getting off the island. Like they're, he's, they're really going to kill James Bond. And then you go, oh, that's why they killed everybody else. So now they can do the reboot. So the idea that like, it's like, great. Thank you, Nicole Kidman. All right. Thank you. We get it. Everything is deeply meaningful, including a guy who walks around, who's supposed to be the best spy in the world, who just walks around repeating his name all day. <laughs> okay. Yes. That's going to be deeply meaningful. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Film is redemptive, but I recoil from any individual films attempt to redeem me. I did think that the Blofeld death scene was cool though. Like, I, so I, I get that. Um, I think his chair I, was cool. I get losing Felix. I get the thing down the hallway. Um, the little uh, confessional cage that they had him in yeah. uh, was cool. And I think that the way that they turned the, that they turned the tables on the conversation uh, was really great because of, of course it's supposed to be the humbling Blofeld moment. It's the only scene that I can think of in this movie in particular that requires a good actor. I'm not saying anyone else is necessarily a bad. They're actor. all fine actors. They're all fine. I think Ray. I think Ray Fiennes is a great actor. They had an actor script they were given. Right, but there's no there's no line that calls on Ray Fiennes to you know to dig deep. He right. didn't prepare for this role uh, unless it was you know by having a role. Um, but uh, I think that the only scene in this movie that requires any acting is on the part of is on the part of Blofeld, um, turning turning things around, um, and. As much as I like Rami Malek in other roles, the comparison of the two of them head to head, it, there's no comparison. I thought, just he would, gets... I thought he would never shut up. He was an aphorism machine. I, like He should have launched a missile every time he had an aphorism. He just gets dunked on by Christoph Waltz because it's, tr it's a truly menacing performance. And if they had left it out, it would make the rest of the movie look smoother. But watching even one person really act yeah. kind of cast a shadow over everybody else. And that, that's how I felt. I, it was a cool moment. And then before and after I went, huh, they, I, I probably would have left that out because that, that was actually so cool that uh, this is a little bit anticlimactic now. And, and if I remember correctly, when I, when we were talking about Spectre, we did not do an episode on Spectre. So we did have a conversation about it. I said, I like Spectre. You rolled your eyes at me and you said the whole thing with Blofeld as his half brother, that I, that was ridiculous. I absolutely hated it. But I can't take anything away from Christoph Waltz. That guy can act. Okay, sure, sure. But I think that again, like what they were given is is you know like this was like the the Hallmark holiday James Bond Christmas special. Like he might as well have had a sweater on. A in, very in special episode. A very special. A very special episode. And I want to go back because I'm still not over this Nicole Kidman thing. I'm still I'm still hurt by it. And here's and here's because I happen to then see get this. So I, I go to the supermarket on my mind and I pick up Time Magazine and they have a story about, about the Bond movie. So I start like just glancing through it. So I had to take a photo of the page. Get this. Here's what, here's what Time Magazine said about this. Quote, the character taught generations of men that misogyny was cool. To its credit, Casino Royale tried to reckon with the question of how exactly Bond became such a misogynist. A betrayal by a woman provided part of the answer. And I'm like... So that's what that's what No Time to Die is. It's a way to kind of humanize James Bond. Like imagine watching a James Bond movie that way. Like, oh, I get it. He he was betrayed by Vesper. A woman hurt him. Therefore, he's a misogynist. Um, and the movie, the movie review in Time said that this film was redemptive. And it says, and I quote this, this made my mouth go, but I quote it says, 
It's what audiences need. Well, of course, it's fu- it's funny that he dies because he's literally toxically masculine. <laughs> that's very good. But, but I, it, yeah, that's that's very good. And we're going to give that that joke it's due in a second. But I mean, like the idea that what audiences need, like the, I don't need Nicole Kidman to tell me how to feel about the movies, and I don't need. James Bond of all people to tell me how to how to how to feel about women or or about anything, right? Like you know what audiences need? They need James Bond to be James Bond. The idea that you would get moral guidance and get your values from watching spy movies is is hilarious. And that's why you laughed at Spectre. I don't care about James Bond as a person. I care about James Bond as a secret agent, you know, trying to pilot a helicopter while the Day of the Dead parade is going on or something like that or chained to or strapped to a table, you know, with a, with a laser going between his legs. That's what I I care about him as a person as much as I care about Austin Powers as a person. All right. Obviously, we got to talk about the ending of this movie, which we would Let's have go. anyway. So yeah. So at the end, James Bond realizes that he's toxically masculine and therefore he must be destroyed. He agrees to his own destruction, creates it, watches it, and then is somberly celebrated uh, by a bunch of friends and then is uh, talked about in his absence. Dan, I'm sure you have feelings about that. Nicole Kidman again told us that movie theaters are places for true magic. Now, I am not, I'm trying to think of when's the last time that really happened. And we've all seen movies over the last couple of years that really, really, you know, you know hit us the right way. Parasite was one of them, right? We all could, the day that the day we saw it, we, were, we couldn't stop talking about it for a month. I remember being 10 years old though and seeing Star Wars. And I, I am not a huge Star Wars fan, but I remember being a kid when Star Wars came out and really thinking, even as a little, pea-brained kid like this is different there's something different about this like i could just tell i couldn't articulate it but i could just tell and so what happens like star wars gets bigger the the cgi gets better the the graphics get better every and what happens to the movies what happens to the star wars movies as this as the effects get better they become awful they all get worse this is this james bond movie this is the rise of skywalker because what happened was that the star wars movies took a turn and so there was suspense there was you know the father son kind of thing but as soon as as soon as like in the last jedi when they started getting quote unquote deeply meaningful and 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 the movies had to give you something and they had to redeem you like the writer of time magazine thinks we need to we need to be taught moral lessons by star wars movies and by james bond movies which is just i can't get over it that's like saying like they should they should they should reboot the jeeves and wooster books to, to make them not um to, so we understand the dangers of alcoholism or something like it's it's, it's mind-boggling so this is not the last jedi it's the last james bond and and i just you could see and that billy eilish song is terrible terrible I have I have a couple of feelings. The first feeling is that if you tell me how to feel about it, I almost instantly don't want to feel that way. So let's let's not even assume that I that I disagree. But I, as soon as you tell me how to feel, I I want to feel the opposite. And so that that's part of what's going on is just just an inner rebelliousness that I feel the way that this movie wants me to go, and it and it makes me want to row upstream. Second is I feel like if you focus all your energy and attention in a script to make me feel a certain way you're dropping the ball because you're not letting you're not letting the film have its own natural rhythm there's something about movies where they they good movies are almost always made in a kind of vacuum where then they have an impact and some of that impact is good and some of that impact is bad I'll, i'll say it this way pornography is when you know what you want and you get it a really bad movie is when you know what you want, but you don't get it. Art is when you're not sure what you want, but you get some of it. And you're not and sure feel, what you've gotten. 
And I feel like the James Bond, this James Bond movie is somewhere between a bad movie where you know what you want and you don't get it and pornography, which is, you know what you want and you definitely get it. Yeah. If, maybe the pornography is when the car spins around and shoots everyone out of the grill. That's, that's Bond porn. That's, that's spy porn. And that's what James Bond is. And it's, it, it's so funny because as you were talking, you said the movie tells you how to feel about Bond, right? So let's take another example, right? Let's take you know, one of my top five or 10 movies of all time, Raging Bull. We could have a, we haven't done that movie. We should. Um, you could have a great conversation saying, what does Martin Scorsese want you to think about Jake LaMotta? What does he want your opinion of Jake LaMotta to be? That's a hard question. I think it's sometimes because it's a work of art. It's a, it's a profound, profound portrait of a human being, right? What are you supposed to think about this guy? He, he, it's very complicated. And I think that's what makes the movie so moving is that you don't know how you feel about him. It's, it's, it's the opposite. Now, Bond, we always knew how to feel about him. We, we like, he looked great. And, uh, you know, I want with that car and, and he looked great in a tuxedo and, and Daniel Craig looks great. I mean, that's the number one requirement, but I think that, um, to tell us how to feel about him, Mike, I think you're exactly right. And then, and then let's get into this. I'm not going to talk about Nicole Kidman again, but let's talk about the music over the end credits. Let's talk about the song choice of Louis Armstrong singing. We have all the time in the world. I mean, I, I, I was like, wait, is this the golden girls movie? Like what happened? Did we, did we switch over or something like that? The film music was done by Hans Zimmer. Yes. Who also did Schindler's list and did everything. And, He's done every movie. And, I think in the last 40 years. Sure. But what I mean is that it's a it's an attempt to overlay a certain kind of emotion. Yes. Where it it's not that it's not beautiful music. If you separated that out, if you played it for me on the on the radio, I would say that must be a film score. It's lovely. It's just not what I want to hear. right then. Well, the Louis Armstrong song isn't part of the score, technically, right? It's the choice of it's 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 non-diagetic music. It is not (laughs) your favorite word. I owe you five dollars, but it's it's put in there again to to tell you how to feel. I just didn't come to the movie to get fixed. Right, me neither. It's it's not it's not actually about what the movie thinks. Let's that's five or six steps down this process. I didn't need to be redeemed. It's not what the movie. It's not what the movie thinks. I just didn't, I didn't come to get fixed. I, I came to watch a movie. And there were parts of the movie that I enjoyed. I still think that Dan, Daniel Craig overall in the aggregate is the best Bond. Mm-hmm. I think the crew surrounding him is uh, funny and charming, that they did a, a, a pretty good job of, of putting people around him. I even thought that the addition of the extra, the, the extra 007, Nomi, shows you, how funny and annoying it is to other people's plans when you have a plan and then 007 shows up, which of course is that that's a, a funny outside view um, and, and managing to synthesize the both of them in, in the movie, you know, I, I thought, I thought worked, but what really doesn't work is trying to manufacture moments. You can only manufacture a movie and it has moments, but you can't manufacture moments. And I, I resent, I resent the attempt to do so. Like there, there are films you go to because you, you, are, you know you're going to get a moral and emotional workout. And, and you know that and you welcome that and you, and you invite that into your, into your heart. To, for la- Now I sound like Nicole Kidman. You invite that into your heart. You bring that into your soul. But James Bond isn't one of them. And I think it's just ludicrous to, to, to try to attempt that. And shame on them for doing so. Shame on them for telling me like how I'm supposed to think about this person. You know, do you ever see Stardust Memories? The Woody Allen yeah. movie. There's, he plays this like Fellini kind of like a film director, and and uh, he wants to make meaningful movies now. And he's he's like a, it's like a 
a parody of himself. And he meets these aliens, these Martians come from a, a spaceship and they say, uh, he says, uh, you know, they, they visit Earth and he says, well, um, give me advice. Like, shouldn't I stop making movies and do something that counts? Like, like, shouldn't I help blind people or become a missionary? And they say, the alien says, you want to do mankind a real service? Tell funnier jokes. And, th- and that's exactly what this didn't do. I will say, though, that taking moral advice from Woody Allen is about <laughs> the same as looking for moral advice from 007. And so the, those are those are equally ludicrous examples. But well, I, I hear but I hear what you're saying. But the point it's of the Woody big, Allen moment is that is that you, you, you it's you know, uh, here's one more one more. Sorry. Sullivan's Travels. In Sullivan's Travels, Joel McRae, right, wants to make the movie called Our Brother, Where Art Thou? And he was going to make a movie that shows everybody how hard life is and the struggles of the poor. And then he realizes once he gets put in the, in the prison, no, people don't want to see that. They want it. They want to see Mickey Mouse. They, they, you want to help people, let them get away from the earth for, for two hours. And that was one of the great things about the 007 films. I didn't need to be reminded of how, how everything is, there's no heroes anymore and everything's relative. Like I didn't need to, I didn't need to hear that, right? I, I went to see James Bond to get away from that. And I don't mean to drive the point too hard. This has been done though. The, the thing that they're trying to do, it's been done and it's been done well by other people. But the problem is you can't steer the ship. You can just, you can just build it. If you build it, sometimes it goes somewhere. Parasite really is a redemptive movie. It it it, it hurts, but it's all it's funny and it's yep. entertaining. So is unforgiving. And it's full of escapism and it's full of beauty. And you didn't expect it. And uh, being a being a foreign film and being especially a foreign language film that did well here in the United States, it had everybody behind it. It had film lovers behind mm-hmm. it. It had people that supported it before they ever saw it because they they liked the idea of it. And that's OK, too. But it really works. It really works because you're not sure how to feel. You're you know, you got something and you're not sure what it is. Because the the filmmakers, the driving forces behind a redemptive film like that, just want to build something that will encapsulate you, that it will take you somewhere, but they're not allowed to say where. Right. And they're not allowed to tell you what it means. The moment that you determine where it is, you can't even get people in the in the front door to to get to get them down the journey. And that's the and that's the problem. This movie reminded me a hundred times that I was watching a movie. Yeah. Over and over, and, and it over reminded and me over. that I was watching Daniel Craig. It, it was like, oh, you're watching Daniel Craig. Oh, you're watching Daniel. Craig. Like, and I, and I, and of course, like you don't really separate. Like, you don't think of Sean Connery as playing James Bond. He's walking around. He's being Sean Connery, but certainly it reminds you over. And then when you get to the end, and everything became so heavy-handed. Yeah, the shots of the sunlight streaming down on Daniel Craig's face all the time with the slights double and just letting the sunlight into all his wrinkles made me think that as soon as he retired, he was going to go pick blueberries with Catherine Hepburn. Well, you know what Emerson said, my friend, every hero becomes a bore at last. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you'll still keep listening. If you love this movie, we're sorry. We, we, we really try not to do this, but it was we were, we were coming in hot. So you could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFILM. You can email us at 15MinuteFilm at gmail.com. Let us know what to watch next. We have more requests coming. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.